Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Talk Catch Up. Sinner is the winner in Washington, D.C. Danielle Collins makes it a second straight title in San Jose. And Roger Federer celebrates his 40th birthday as he pulls out of Toronto and Cincinnati. Kim, the North American hardcourt swing is here. We have got Toronto and Montreal along the way this week, and we've just had Washington, D.C. and San Jose, as well as the fantastically named Winners Open in Romania. I think, you know, right now at this moment, the Olympics, it is over. We can now just get back, I think, and, and focus on the tour. We're not we're not dealing in medals, gold, silver, bronze anymore. It's back to it's back to Grand Slams, and at the moment, it's all about the build up to the U.S. Open. Yes, yeah, the winner takes all, Joel. If you're you know second, <laughs> you might get a plate or something, but yeah. you certainly won't have a ceremony and you know flowers and and a nice medallion. Um, I have to say, it's a bit weird not waking up and having like diving or you know cycling on the telly on the telly so I, I'm missing that aspect of the Olympics but you know there, there's tennis we have tennis still we always have tennis so that's a nice constant and we're getting back to a point now where I don't think there's not going to be any excuses anymore about oh you've been picking up titles because the draws have been very weak because we're getting to back to a point now where all the big names are going to be getting ready to go on the on the hard courts in uh, you know North America and in Canada. Um, so uh, yeah, it's going to be very exciting to see. Let's start with Washington DC ATP 500 event. Rafa was there. I know you were excited about that, given a, obviously a Rafa fan. He was the top seed, but we ended with a final that I don't think many people would have maybe expected. We had Mackenzie McDonald come through in the top half to face off against Yannick Sinner. And we had Yannick Sinner come through, take his biggest title of his career so far at 19 years old. And yeah, it was a fantastic match. Uh, he won it 7-5 in the third set. And it was it was good. It was a good natured match. I think the fact that there was a full capacity crowd there it added to the occasion. I think, to be honest, they both went off the court as as winners, because I think even though McDonald lost, I think he certainly gained a few fans in the process. Yeah, I, I was really like keen on this final. It was a great match and I like both of them. I'm, I've sort of watched Mackenzie McDonald for a while now. And, you know, for him to get to this final, you know, he's kind of been around knocking on the door mm. for a little bit. Hasn't really had the um, results. You know, he's had sort of injury struggles. So for him mm. to come so close um, at, you know, at a home event was really nice to see. And and Yannick Sinner, you know, I'm, I'm quite a fan of his as well. And so it, although Rafa didn't, you know, get very far, I was quite pleased with the end kind of final that 
that we had. Um, Sinner was knocking out all the Americans, though, Joel. You know, mm. McDonald in the final, Brooksby in the semi, Johnson, uh, Seb Corder, you know. So, yeah, he had to come up against, I guess, crowds that weren't going to be to his his liking. Um, but, yeah, youngest ever winner of an ATP 500. So he's kind of continuing to make his mark at such a young age. I forget he's only 19 years old. It's, it's a sort of defies belief, I think, you know, given when he steps on court, you know, he's getting all of this right, really good experience. And, you know, he got to the final of Cincinnati earlier in the season. Miami, Miami. Sorry, Miami. We haven't had Cincinnati yet. Yeah, I got confused. There. I had Cincinnati on my mind. So he got to the final <laughs> in Miami earlier on in the season. And I thought, you know, that was going to be the, you know, the biggest types of, of his career because he came up against Hubert Hercash, but it wasn't to be. And, you know, going into, you know, Washington, he was sort of in a little bit of a rough patch. I think he had lost his last three matches um, on tour. You know, we, we know he's a very good clay play, clay court player. You know, we've seen this week as well. He's a very good hard court player, but I felt kind of just, um, you know, he had, he suffered a little blip, I think, you know, with the grass court season, you know, was, I think he was at Queens, didn't do particularly well there. Wimbledon as well. He's still, I think, finding his feet on the grass, but I think it was very impressive from him to kind of bounce back from from that little dip, um, not not let it get the better of him, and yeah, come through in in kind of flying colours this week. I don't think he dropped a set all the way through to the final. I think he's been working on his serve. You can tell, uh, you know, he was very much, um, you know, all the way through to the final. He he was saving uh, lots of break points. You know, he was not giving up his serve very easily. And I think that was one of the foundations of why he has done so well this week. And um, yeah, really kind of Im- impressive from him, given that, you know, there's so much, you know, we know that the talent's there. We know the talent's there in Italian tennis at the moment, but um, to come through and, and, and show it is easier said than done. So to come through and win you know the biggest title um, of your career very very good stuff from him yeah and it was you know seven five in the third set but Sinner was a break up and you know mm. Mackenzie uh, McDonald pegged him back so he should have really got over the finish line sooner than that he had like 11 set points in the first <laughs> set I mean it was you know it was a match I think where you're right I think Sinner arguably could have got it done a lot you know he could have got it done in two sets and he probably could have got it done in a comfortable two set victory and I think that's you know massive kind of credit there to McDonald for I think just really sticking with Sinner actually because I think going into it I was like I thought this was going to be a regulation sort of victory for Sinner but the fact that you know McDonald came out fighting um, he's been you know he's a great he's a great talent and uh, you know I think consistency is the thing that sort of holds him back but I think today I think in that final he kind of showed it and I think for Sinner he was able to kind of put all of the all those lost points uh you know behind him and yeah as you said kind of get himself over the line but it wasn't it wasn't easy for him to do and i think mentally that was what's so impressive about the the sinner performance yeah when you have so many chances and then the, mm. you're not getting them you've got to recreate those chances and just like you know clean slate let's let's you know focus on each point and I mean, we saw that as well in, in the Danielle Collins win, which we'll get onto a bit later as well. But yeah, Yannick's in a very exciting time for him going into kind of, you know, the Masters level events and then the US Open. Like, what can he do for the rest of this US Open swing? Because he's made the perfect start. And um, also Mackenzie McDonald, probably not someone you want to come up against, no, you know, in not. in the coming up tournaments because he's he's getting, you know, he's been improving, you know, this, this season. I think he got to the fourth round at the AO. So... Um, now into his first final, 
hopefully he can stay injury free and build on that. I swear we just associate Mackenzie McDonald with the Australian Open. Uh, you know, you had that obviously you had that match against Grigor Dimitrov a few a few years ago. But yeah, the story the story for him it feels like you know he's like I think twenty five, twenty six now. Injuries, hopefully injuries are you know behind him, and he's just been a, I think a slow and kind of steady improver kind of this season. And you look at him on court, and I think he, he doesn't look the most imposing figure, but. He sort of reminds me a little bit of, of how well kind of Cam Norrie is doing this season in terms of that all-court game is a battler and he just makes the most, I think, of his his talent. And they certainly, I think, kind of showed that this week, particularly with some of the victories he kind of pulled up because, you know, he beat uh, Kane Ishikori in a really tight three-set battle um, in the semifinals, took out Dennis Cudler as well, Ilya Ivashka. And also he took out uh, Nick Kyrgios in, in the first round in straight sets, who is the defending champion. So, you know, he've had some very, very good wins this week. And, you know, generally speaking for, you know, American tennis at the moment, it's been, it's been, you know, on the men's side, it's been really, really impressive stuff over the, over the last couple of weeks. You must have been really annoyed, though, that he beat Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> I know. You were so looking forward to Kyrgios against Benoit Pair. Oh, I was like, yeah, McDonald, that would be, you know, for Kyrgios, a defending champion. Particularly, I think, you know, the fact that there were, you know, full, full, full crowd in at, um, in Washington. So I thought he would have absolutely loved that atmosphere. Um, coupled with being defending champion, yeah, I was like, yeah, surely he'll come up. Come, come through, McDonald, and give us that grandstand match against Benoit Pair that uh, that at least maybe some of us wanted. But no, it wasn't. It wasn't to be. But um, yeah, I think yeah, I think Nick Kyrgios was probably disappointed with the manner of that. But the fact that McDonald went on to go get to the final probably says something about the you know the level that McDonald um, was bringing to the court. Yeah, and actually, Kyrgios said that his head was in the shed after losing mm. that match. Um, he wasn't particularly bothered either way. He, he, you know, he lost that match, but he he was kind of saying that he he didn't really care that he lost, and it's a bit worrying because if he's not actually that invested in what's happening on the court, like, does he really want to be there? And you know, yes, he hasn't played a lot, and he's sort of just kind of coming back into it. But he was sort of saying he he doesn't really feel like how he should or how he used to or when he get you know, used to get very worked up and emotional on the court. So really lot, kind of needs to, you know, rediscover his his mojo at the moment because even with the crowd there, he just wasn't wasn't feeling it. Yeah, that's what I was that's what I was surprised by because um, you know, to to quote him, he was saying, I actually missed the days when I was losing and I was carrying on and I was getting fined and I was throwing my rackets. That just meant that I just cared a lot. I actually I actually cared what was happening. Now I lose and I'm actually happy for the other guy. And it was, yeah, it was a bit, I think, surprising to hear those comments. And, you know, we know, I think Nick Kyrgios is, you know, his character, I think, has changed. I think, dare I say, the pandemic has, you know, has changed him. But uh, it feels like at the moment, yeah, he's he's lacking that little bit of energy and that, in, that X factor that, I guess gets him up in the morning in terms of you know playing on the tour and I think that's sort of coupled with you know the fact that he's not had a lot of experience and as much as he is a great talent and a great kind of competitor he's just not had much you know much tennis and there's probably things that he wants to be able to do but his body's just not letting him do that at the moment and I think that was the you know the case in in round 1 in um you know in DC here you know losing to McDonald in straight sets um yeah, I think it was it was disappointing, and and for Kyrgios, maybe he needs to go away, and I think you know maybe get angry, but maybe get angry with a more sort of constructive and, and positive 
sort of output as opposed to you know the the fines and the bans and all that sort of stuff that I think we saw that we saw pre-pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll see how he progresses, you know, <laughs> through the rest of the US Open swing. But I genuinely thought, I genuinely thought with a full crowd, you know, that would have been the thing that would have got him excited. You know, we've seen him, you know, go to the crowd and ask, where do you want me to serve? Am I going to serve down the tee? Am I going to serve out wide? And I always, I, I think he really loves that, that interaction. So, I mean, maybe in the future, maybe that's the, that's the source that he needs. Uh, and maybe he just needs to redis- you know, rediscover that. And I don't know if that means he needs, you know, someone on his team to help him rediscover that or he's able to do that himself. But I certainly feel like, yeah, it's the fans absolutely love him, him being there. And, uh, yeah, maybe he can, he can use that as a source of inspiration going forward. He probably needs to play either Rafa or Novak to, you know, give him a bit of a, a boost. They were sort of close to each other in the, in the draw, weren't they? I was sort of like wondering, oh, was that, was that on the cards? But, um, it wasn't, was it? Because Rafa, um, I mean, Rafa, what? I mean, Rafa had a couple of matches, one win, uh, a very tough win against Jack Sock. Um, and then he came unstuck against Lloyd Harris. Yeah. And you love a bit of Lloyd Harris, don't you? I mean, you love his hair. <laughs> yeah, maybe I love his flowing locks. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was like typical Lloyd Harris. Um, yeah, it was six, four, one, six, six, four. Um, Lloyd Harris kind of getting that kind of crucial break in the third set. I mean, yeah, disappointing as a Rafa fan that he didn't go further. But for me, I was just pleased to see him back. And I thought, you know, he's had six sets of tennis. Hopefully that's what he needed in terms of match practice. You know, that's why he's probably come back a bit earlier to play this event as opposed to starting out, you know, at the Master Series. And I think positive news was that he said his his kind of foot injury, which is sort of still there a bit, it, it, it's improving, it's getting better. And, you know, he hasn't been able to, to practice kind of all the time like he would have been wanting to so to be able to kind of get through these two matches I think you know he he seemed to be kind of fairly all right um (laughs) afterwards and hopefully you know in Toronto this coming week he can I mean he's actually going to potentially be playing Lloyd Harris again but we'll get on to that later um you know Lloyd Harris could have two wins of his life uh, in in the space of two weeks perhaps but I think that was probably Lloyd Harris's biggest biggest win of his career I suppose I don't think he's ever um you know defeated someone of of Rafa's caliber he's become the first player to win his first meeting with Rafa since 18 year old Denis Shapovalov uh beat him in 2017 um in the uh the Rogers Cup in Montreal so um yeah it was really 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 impressive from him I think we've seen you know We've seen like spits and spurts, I think, from Lloyd Harris this season. I think particularly kind of earlier on, I think I remember in Dubai, he put a pretty good run together from qualifying all the way through to the, the final in the main draw. And ever since, I've sort of kind of been predicting him to kind of go on and sort of kick on. But um, yeah, it felt like with, the, with that victory, he really did show, um, you know, the, the talent I think that he kind of possesses. And again, he's only kind of 24 years old. He's sort of, I think, you know, now... The, bat- the baton has sort of been passed to him, I feel, from Kevin Anderson um, in terms of kind of South African tennis. And um, I think, yeah, he should be at a moment now where he can kick on because I certainly think he's got the the tools to, um, you know, to to go, you know, to go higher, particularly, I think, with his ranking. So um, he'll obviously take great confidence from that victory with over Nadal. But I mean, Kim, the, the other match that Nadal played, I think we need to talk about that as well, because three hours against Jack Sock, um, the crowd were absolutely loving it. I thought it was actually one of the matches of the year so far. It was just such a, it was for me, it was just such a surprising 
uh, surprising encounter because I didn't realise... Well, I think we've forgotten, actually, as fans, how good Jack Sock can be on his day. And I was really, really impressed by the the level that he that, that Sock brought to the court against Nadal. I think both players ended with more winners than, than unforced errors. Yes, Nadal played an absolutely expert um, tiebreak to, to win it in that third set. But again, that was not an easy, um, that was not an easy opening match for Nadal. And um, it was just a fantastic, fantastic battle between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, Jack Sock was, you know, former top 10, won, mm. I think, the Paris Masters, like quite a few years ago now. So we know on his day, he has the game. It's just like that day has not been <laughs> happening for a long time. <laughs> and, you know, but he, I guess when you're, you know, out on a night session with Rafa, you know, you want to turn up at, at your yeah. home event, don't you? So if, if ever there was an occasion where he That's was going to play Nick well. Kyrgios, that is exactly what Nick Kyrgios is. He needs the nights. He needs the night session. He needs the cameras on him. And then I think he'll be right as rain. Exactly. He just wants the attention, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, but another player, well, an American as well, Jensen Brooksby, mm. he reached the semifinals. And I mean, he really is like on a bit of a hot streak at the moment because he is now into the top 100, I think, in the world. Whereas... Only, you know, a few, a few weeks, well, what seems like only a few weeks ago, he was, um, outside the top 200. And, um, you know, he's got to the Newport final. We got to the semifinals here. And yeah, looking, looking really quite, um, quite a prospect. But also, you know, Andy Murray's been getting involved on Twitter, um, which might be putting the kibosh on him. Um, yes. we all know what Andy Murray's predictions sometimes can be a bit interesting. Uh, but yeah, he, he sort of said that, you know, Jensen Brooksby is, exactly the sort of player that he loves to watch you know because of his variety and his his high tennis IQ um saying his backhand volley was almost identical to Florian Meyer which is a player that I had not thought about in a long time <laughs> how how could you not how could Florian Meyer not be at the front of your mind Kim I know I know him and his backhand volley I did love that that was quite a niche reference uh from Murray but I absolutely loved it and Florian Meyer was a quality player uh, back in the day. I remember watching him, I think, against Jill Simon um, on like an outside court at, at Flushing Meadows at the US Open. And it was just such a thing. I, yeah, I just remember the, their battle of, of double-handed backhands. I was just like, oh, this is so good. But um, yeah, Jensen Brixby is was a, a player this week who I gained. I think like Mackenzie McDonald just won lots and lots of fans, probably not a lot of players sorry, not a lot of fans had heard, had heard of him. He got to the final in, in Newport where, um, he lost to, to Kevin Anderson, but, um, yeah, he came, came in here and just picked up some really, really, um, impressive victories and, you know, watching, you know, I'd not watched much of him before and kind of, you know, watching him on TV again, he's just got this style that, He's just a great defender, I think. And um, he was just able to get absolutely everything back um, in the match I watched against uh, when he took out um, Felix Auger-Aliassime. It was just really clear for me that, you know, Murray talked about the fact that he had a high tennis IQ. And I completely agree with that statement because, you know, the opposite to him on the net, FAA, I think at the moment, yes, he's got talent, but I think he's got a low tennis IQ. I think he's strategy wise. I just not sure he's got it. I just don't think he's got it down yet. And when he came up against someone like Brooksby, Brooksby was just getting everything back and FAA just didn't really know what to do. And I don't think he necessarily has that variety yet that I think actually Shapovalov has sort of, I think, overtaken him in terms of prospects for Canadian tennis right at this moment doesn't have that variety and as a result he just sort of 
standing behind the baseline, hoping to hit winners and win the match that way. And Brooksby was absolutely having none of it. And he was running around the court, getting absolutely everything back in. And it was just really, really impressive. Yeah, I suppose the FAA win, probably his most impressive, as well as his win over TFO um, in the round before. And, uh, you know, TFO kind of came out saying you know, this guy, is, he's very difficult to play against. He, you know, he's not sort of the most orthodox of players as well. So he um, is very tough, very tough opponent. And I think, you know, American tennis for the for the young guys, they've got some really good, like, prospects, like, obviously, Brooksby, Corder, Nakashima, who, you know, has been doing very, very well of late. I was disappointed that Nakashima, you know, only got to, like, the third round and um, lost out to Dennis Kudler, but he's probably a bit tired after the last few weeks. But, yeah, lots of um, quite, you know, quite exciting as if for American tennis fans, I would say. I mean, Nakashima came through Dan Evans, seven six six. Mm. love. Probably less said about that, the better. I don't know what happened in that uh, second set. But, yeah, it's been a very impressive, I think, start for, uh, you know, for Americans that might not necessarily be on, you know, people's radars. And this might be, uh, you know, this time kind of leading up to US Open. It might be, you know, a moment for, you know, one or two of these players to, to make their mark. I think, you know, the thing we have to say, though, is that we've got to take with a pinch of salt, Kim, because... Americans, they loved. We we know they loved hyping up their their players and their juniors, and it that doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily always kind of pan out like that. I always think back to like you know Donald Young, for example, and maybe to an a lesser to a lesser extent Francis Tiafo. I mean, don't don't shoot me there, but I feel like he's still got a lot left in him to give. But um, yeah, I think at the moment there's American. Males tennis is certainly riding on a on a high wave, and um, you know McDonald as well. I know he's not necessarily necessarily say he's a junior, but Brixby seems to be kind of leading the line there. And as you said, that unorthodox nature that he possesses is something that I just think a lot of players just aren't able to figure out yet. And although I think he comes from that background of yeah having solid kind of ground strokes from the back of the court, he also loves throwing in like double handed backhand drop shots, which I think. Could, catches uh, a lot of players like Ojeda off guard so um yeah it's really i think exciting times and there's no doubt they're going to be absolutely dangerous kind of opponents for you know, seeded players to come up against in the the main draws to come up to um you know up to Flushing Meadow at the US Open yeah what happened to Donald Young that is uh, the question of today i think Joel now you've mentioned his name he took a set off Murray i think in the Davis Cup in in like in when it was in Scotland, uh, when it was the, the when it was in the tie against America in Glasgow, I think, and I was like, "What? What?" I was just had to, I had to like do a quick like double check. What did that actually happen? Um, but yeah, I know it's uh, you know he's a great you know he's a great player. You know he's a great personality as well. But yeah, I just felt like a lot of expectation was kind of put on him, and I think that happened. You know that's not an isolated example. I think there are other cases as well and i hope yeah that you know nakashima corder as well hopefully they don't they don't fall into that trap absolutely i always feel like it's the gasquet effect as well um <laughs> another player that's sort of very much in in line with that um but let's talk about wga because we had two wga events happening last week we had a 500 event in san jose in california where we had danielle collins uh winning her second straight tournament um to claim this one the biggest title of, of her career um i mean she's on a bit of a roll at the moment isn't she she's won 10 straight matches one at home um amongst you know all the home fans although 
subject to fans, we'll get onto that in a bit. But um, she came through against Daria Kazakina, uh, 6-3, 6-7, 6-1. They played a really epic tiebreak, which was 12-10. Uh, Kazakina saved, uh, well, five match points in that second set. I think three of those were in the tiebreak um, to take it to a third. But um, yeah, Danielle Collins was far too strong in that third set and um yeah really backing up her kind of maiden title win in in palermo which was on the clay and then to go and win you know your second straight title but on a different surface it's very impressive yeah that was that was seriously good stuff that you were able to transition so quickly go across the you know go across the world as well i mean that was very impressive from danielle collins and i think danielle collins is one of those is one of those players who's just so she's like battling the player across the court but she's also battling herself, I think. And it was quite clear, I think, in that in that tiebreak in the in the second set, particularly, she was up against Kasatkina, but also uh she was up against the fans. And the fans were not letting Danielle Collins, even though they're Americans as well, they were just not letting her play her game. She felt that they were, you know, cheering and hollering during the points, after the points. It was really putting her off her game to the point that I think, you know, she was caught on TV saying shut up to you know to her home fans and uh, I don't think yeah that adhered her particularly to her fans but Danielle Collins is a sort of player who doesn't she just does not care she you know she wants to win you know she is a you know she can be at times a loud and intense player um, on the tennis court and the it was just a very it was a very impressive victory from her but it was a victory i think yeah that she came from came from anger i think that she wasn't able to get it done sooner and you could see on that walk to the net even though she had just won the biggest title of her career she her mood was on the on the on the exterior it did not look very happy yeah she didn't look uh, yeah she didn't look very pleased when she actually won but i think that for me i felt that that was because she felt she should have won you know mm. definitely in in straight sets and um you know she does always seem a bit like she's having a strop on, on the court but you know <laughs> that is how she she is and um you know she I love gets it. The job I love it. yeah she doesn't have to be all sweetness and light does she no. as much as some people might want her to be but i mean i think there was um you know a bit of hoo-ha perhaps in her speech she didn't sort of you know say thanks to the fans for coming um and you know that might have caused a bit of consternation especially if it's the home crowd but you know she's she's just getting on with it and like yes you do have to i mean does she not want crowds going forwards like would she like the us open to be like be like it was last year without crowds probably not so well i i was i was thinking that whether danielle collins is yeah well, does does she actually like playing without crowds because then she doesn't have to deal with all of this uh you know all, all of this kind of madness and all this noise kind of going on around her and i i think maybe what's kind of interesting is the fact that you know crowds have been and fans have been deprived of, of tennis for so long live tennis for so long the fact that you put them then all back in in you know a f- full capacity or whatever does that mean they're going to go an extra an, an, an extra bit crazy because they haven't been in this situation for 18 months or so I'm, I'm not sure but I feel like in America um we've seen you know the you know the crowds in New York for example you know over the years are, are some of the most um you know it can be a you know it can be wild you know wild night wild atmosphere on on a night session and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that continues but I think you know the lesson here is that and uh, is for you know for players and I think for Danielle Collins and and probably one of the reasons why she you know she's not been able to be as kind of consistent as maybe she would have been like over you know the last few seasons is 
just don't let it get on top of you don't let don't lose your focus and don't get distracted by them and don't you know look for you know because there'll be people out there who's saying you know maybe she was looking for excuses when you know she lost that second set looking at the crowd being like you made me lose the second set i had it in the bag so you know i think there's kind of maybe lessons to be learned there but yeah she is on a she is on a hot streak at the moment and yes some of the players she's been beating are you know not not necessarily that highly ranked but to do it across you know a clay and a hard court um is is very 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 impressive yeah and good good winners um, good week as well for Kazakina because that was her fourth final of the year mm. so definitely um you know she had a few dodgy seasons but she's on her way back to kind of oh, perhaps where she was you know about four well three years ago now um she's also been quite open about the fact she's working with a sports psychologist she kind of relocated to Barcelona so she's sort of made some really positive changes and it's all kind of coming to fruition um so really positive week for her i think um also colin she's back in the top 30 now so she'll be seeded at the us open um i imagine uh unless something drastic happens in the next few weeks but um you know she, her and kasakina both of a similar kind of ranking at the moment but um mm. you know both kind of not people you kind of want to play because they're both in very good form at the moment and we also had Emma Raducanu from a British perspective, mm. uh, got given a wild card um, to play. She lost in the first round to Zhang, uh, 6-3, 6-2, who then went and took out Madison Keys. So, um, you know, of course, it would have been great if she could have picked up a, you know, a WTA tour level win. Um, but I'm sure that was a great experience for her. I've actually just seen today, I think she's playing a W100 in Landisville and she's just come through qualifying there. So she's not sort of resting on her laurels and she's keen to, I think, just kind of continue the tennis. And I think, yeah, playing a match at a WTA 500 level is just going to be, I mean, it must have been just so good to just kind of get back out on the court. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully she can pick up some more wins, um, maybe a bit further down um, in the sort of WTA tournament tier ranking but um yeah good stuff to see Radicanu on the on the big stage absolutely um we also had the winners open in Romania um which was <laughs> we had a winner at the winners open which was uh Andrea Petkovic uh was the winner 6-1 6-1 she was very comfortable against Maya Sharif uh in the final um she hasn't won a title in about six years so this was her seventh title overall but it's been a long, long time since she got to this, um, you know, since she got to lift a, a, a title. And I think she, you know, she's been saying that a lot has happened in those six years. She's sort of almost retired. Well, I think she kind of technically did retire for a bit. Um, but now she's kind of putting together a few wins. She she was runner up in um, Hamburg last month and, and now champion uh, at, at the Winners Open. So really nice um for, for petco and her fans and the you know got to see a bit of the petco dance petco as dance, well dance, which we yeah. like to see <laughs> yeah i mean um, i mean it was a great uh, it was a great victory and uh, you know talking about danielle collins i think uh, you know petkovic is what you know probably one of the opposite you know players in terms of she's so liked i think by fans and players on the tour and you just can't help but be happy for her given the you know particularly I think with the injury struggles that she's gone through um you know over the last few seasons and you know she's entering you know the twilight of her career I think she's what 33 34 now so it was really great I think to see her uh you know come through and win and so commandingly as well I mean 6-1-6-1 yes uh, it was on the kind of the clay against Maya Sharif um I wondered whether Sharif was uh, I don't know if she, she felt the pressure of history potentially bur burdening on her because she uh was in a final uh, i think it was her first ever final 
and she could have become the first Egyptian uh, to win uh, a WTA tour title. So I don't know if that kind of hampered her a little bit, but yeah, Petkovic was um, yeah, really, really impressive. Yeah, Sharif making history because although she, you know, kind of got obliterated in the, in the final, mm. um, she is now into the top hundred. And she also reached the doubles final. So maybe she was a bit tired as well, playing quite a bit of tennis this week. But yeah, fantastic for for her. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, I really enjoyed this event for the imaginative title. And I do hope we get more winners from Winners Open going forwards because I thought that was pretty cool. Um, also, I think Petkovic, you know, she's won quite a few titles now, um, but she's been around for a while. So I think um, I saw on Twitter that she's, basically won a title in kind of each of the last three decades um wow. essentially so quite you know she's been around on the tour for a long time and um it's nice isn't it when players can kind of win after such a long gap and kim this tournament was in Cluj in romania and don't worry you're not going to have to wait long for another tournament to be in Cluj because i think today also they announced there's going to be another wta 250 in Cluj in an indoor on, a, on an indoor hard court so maybe we'll have a, a winners open indoor indoor version later on uh, later on in the season I cannot wait, Joe. I cannot wait. <laughs> um, right, let's have a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be talking about Roger Federer and his latest uh, injury setback, Simona Halep's return in Montreal, and also Daniel Medvedev's top seed billing in Toronto. So do not go anywhere. <laughs> This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to the second half, where we're going to commence with a rendition of Mysterious Player, which we haven't had for a while, have we, Joel? So, quite exciting. It's making its its welcome return. Um, exactly so, you, oh. and you're going to be my victim today uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, not gonna be, I'm not going to be a winner I don't think uh, given my previous record on mysterious players but uh, I'll give it my best shot okay right uh, listeners <laughs> I hope you're all ready to play along and um, got your thinking caps on so here we go clue number one I was born on the 14th of May 1993 Okay, so slightly, slightly younger than me. Um, I'm going to say, so it can be like 20, 28, 27, 28. Um, Just because I said him earlier, Francis Tiafo. No, (laughs) it's not. Um, It's not. Uh, I will give you more clues, which will hopefully narrow it down because I... (laughs) Pretty sure that we haven't all memorised players' birthdays. Um, <laughs> I was born in a country to which my parents had moved to the year before, ninety-two. Oh, okay. I was going to say Denis Shapovalov, um, but obviously that's not correct um, because he's a bit younger than that. Um, I'm going to say Mackenzie McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> no it's not oh. that would be quite relevant though wouldn't it yeah he's got like a, um a family origins in i think china i think he's got scottish and english uh descent as well actually i was reading a little bit earlier, but anyway i would hope with a name like Mackenzie mcdonald he had some kind of scottish that is link. very true very true <laughs> <laughs> the most the two most scottish names possible um okay right clue number three 
I am currently ranked number 57 in the WTA singles uh, rankings. Okay. So WTA player 57. So I'm going to be... Have they just been like a... I wonder if they've just been like a journey journey woman uh, just been around that ranking all the time or whether they're on a slide or are they on the way up? Um, I'm going to say... Come on, Joel, spit it out. Bujanescu. <laughs> no, but that's, you know, probably quite a decent shout. Uh, okay, clue number four, I think this is. I have made two Grand Slam singles quarterfinals, but I have won seven doubles Grand Slams. They are pretty handy doubles player. And how many, sorry, how, where did they get to in the Grand Slams? Uh, they have got two quarterfinals at singles at slams uh, over their career, but they have won seven doubles slams. Oh, uh, okay. This is a bit random. Mm, okay. Sinyakova? It's not Sinyakova, no. Oh. Uh, but yeah, you're getting warmer, Joel. You're getting warmer. I Okay, clue number five, I think this is. I won my home slam with my compatriot back in 2016, but shortly after our partnership ended. I think I know who this is. Um, home slam. I'm thinking. I'm thinking that's the French Open. Um, I think it's. Is it Christina Mladenovic? It is Christine Milodinovic. <laughs> well done. Yes. <laughs> Thought that might give it away, that clue. But um, yeah, I had a couple more up my sleeve. My my most favourite clue was, according to Garbina Muguruza, I speak about 25 languages. Oh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I definitely, definitely would have got it up. You should have rate, if you had brought that up way higher, I would definitely have got that much quicker. I know. I left that till the end <laughs> deliberately because it's sort of become folklore in, you know, <laughs> tennis. Um, but yeah, I decided to go with Mladenovic this week. Uh, so I hope listeners enjoyed that and did did quite well. Uh, maybe you got it before Joel or maybe not. I also had in there uh, that uh, she won the Fed Cup in 2019 winning all three rubbers in the final and beating ash Barty. Oh, yes yes that was in Aus- yeah. and that was in australia as well wasn't it It was yeah, yeah. and last clue as well i'm sure most people would have got this um i was in a relationship with a fellow tennis professional uh for two years and obviously that was dominic mm. team so there we go mysterious player you should have brought those gossipy clues more up, like relationship status, all that sort of stuff. That is much better for me than, uh, the, yeah, like uh, the the like the the actual achievements on the court. <laughs> but then you would have got it straight away, Joel. I know, be, I know. You know, I have to make you suffer. Okay, right, listeners, let's move on to passing shot mailbag time. And we had Liam get in touch with us on from the show on email, and his question was. Roger Federer is celebrating his 40th birthday this week. What would your present be for the great man if you got to attend his birthday party? So, Kim, what I mean, what are your thoughts here? Because, you know, Federer, he turned 40. I think he would turn 40 yesterday, 8th of August. Um, you know, if the passing shot somehow was, I don't know, maybe we got like MC ceremonies at his birthday party and we had to bring bring gifts for him what are you what are you what are you thinking i mean i feel like this is a guy who has absolutely everything what are you what are your what are your thoughts 
Yeah, I mean, what do you get someone like like Roger Federer? Um, I knee I, surgery. I swear, well, a new knee, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think back in the day, the Swiss government used to give him like a cow or, or something. Um, but uh, perhaps not. <laughs> that sounds like something like the Basel Open would give him if they want. <laughs> well, they give anyone who wins their tournament. Or a cow-shaped trophy or something. Um, <laughs> well, he's got he's won that tournament many, many times, as I found out last week. Um, I would give him, aside from, you know, we'd obviously celebrate with, I think, some Swiss chocolate, like a nice Swiss chocolate cake, something like that, you know. Um, but perhaps I would give him um, something that he has longed for in his career, I suppose, maybe a, a, a singles gold medal at the Olympics. Maybe another French Open, or no, although maybe no, I probably wouldn't give them that. Um, <laughs> uh, I oh, this is a very tricky one. Um, I think perhaps I'd give him a meeting with Pseudo Fed. I'd love them to meet oh, in real life. Yeah. I feel like he'd want to meet his his alter mm. ego, whoever Pseudo Fed <laughs> is. It's a mystery. I think Pseudo Fed's but... been quite quiet recently. Actually, the more I think about it, but I could be I could be wrong. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great shout. I'd love to hear. I'd love to. I'd love for him to yeah meet his like alternate his alternate uh, identity. Uh, that'd be quite funny. Um, no, I've gone. I actually went more. I, I liked your thinking around something that he doesn't actually have, and I went a bit more. Bit went a bit more simple. I did go for the singles gold medal because I feel like that is literally the one thing he doesn't have uh, in his trophy cabinet. So yeah, sing- singles gold medal, absolutely, or perhaps a twenty-first Grand Slam, so he can you mm. know go ahead of the others again. But um, <laughs> it's unlikely, Joel, that that may happen because he has pulled out of mm. Toronto and Cincinnati because of uh, setback with his his knee injury. So. You know, is he going to participate in the US Open? Potentially not. If he does, is he going to just be very undercooked with with no matches uh, in in advance? And if so, you know, he's you've got to think he's not going to do realistically that well as a result. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's not it's not a great it's not great news. You know, hearing the fact that he's had to pull out of Toronto and, and Cincinnati, and I think that. It will be obviously a big disappointment for Fed fans. Um, it's a big disappointment, I think, for, for tennis fans in general. You know, I was hoping to see, you know, the Flushing Meadows, um, just to see, you know, the big three, I think, just battle it out. The fact that they are all on 20 grand slams, it'd just be great, I think, just to see them all participating there. Um, that might still happen. It might not. But yeah, we all know, I think Federer's kind of struggles at the moment, particularly with this kind of pesky knee injury. And it has got people thinking in terms of, well, you know, if if he's not going to be playing these Masters events and that puts his, you know, his participation at the US Open in doubt, the last slam of the year, you know, realistically, is he going to, what's he, you know, going to come back for? And and yes, there is the, you know, the Labour Cup, uh, Basel uh, as well. Um, so, you know, there's probably still things that could tempt him to kind of come back and, and play some tennis. I mean, the Labour Cup, I guess he doesn't necessarily have to be there in a, a playing capacity, but, uh, yeah, the news at the moment is, is not great. And, um, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit disappointing. And I think that the most disappointing thing about it is, you know, someone of Roger Federer's stature, you know, you want him, I think, to go out on his terms, um, you know, in the sport, you know, the, the sport that he's given so much to. Um, it just feels like at the moment, maybe this this injury, um, it's it's arguably robbing him of of being able to to do that. 
Yeah, it's, it is a real shame because I just thought after the surgery and all that time off he had that he would be able to kind of withstand the tour for, for a bit longer, but perhaps not. Um, you know, he hasn't really played an awful lot of matches, you know, in the last two seasons. And, you know, last year was obviously diff- difficult and different for everyone. But um, we will await further news from from Camp Fed. I, I just wonder, Kim, whether he still rues like, just dropping out of the French Open because oh he was know, doing well there yeah, I mean well, that's, he, what I, that's what I mean know, I'm like, yeah I'm just like you know he you know this is ob- this obviously shows you know he's obviously in a quite a fragile state at the moment and you just can't I think take Grand Slams for you know I'm not saying he was taking Grand Slams for granted but you know you should just take them as take them as they come and. uh you know, yes, you have to plan and strategize your season. And, you know, obviously his team felt that was the, you know, the best thing to do at the time. And, you know, it was a great achievement, I think, you know, in hindsight, him getting to the, you know, the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. But yeah, you do what you do sort of wonder, you know, that he was in the second week of the, the French Open, whether, you know, he could have, you know, given what's kind of gone on since, whether, you know, he had a, he had an opportunity there perhaps to, perhaps to not go out in the, necessarily in the, in the way that he did. Yeah, that that decision did irk some people. Um, so yeah, I'd actually kind of temporarily forgotten about that. So perhaps it was, um, you know, it's coming back to bite him on the bum a bit. But um, let's look at the uh, National Bank Opens, Joel, that uh, are going on this week. Uh, basically, the Rogers Cup. Uh, they've just kind of changed the way it's said. Uh, so the men are in Toronto. Just, they've just tried to make it a bit more concise and, and pithier with that with that new title, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, it sounds so much better, doesn't it? Uh, anyway, Toronto for the men, uh, Montreal for the women. Uh, the men, there's no Djokovic, uh, also no Zverev after the Olympics. Uh, we've got Medvedev as the top seed, Rafa as the second seed. Um, pretty much everyone else is there, I would say. Uh, obviously, Sinner going into as the Washington DC champ. Uh, Gail Monfils is back after his wedding. Lovely. Um and uh, we've got Casper Ruud on a hard court. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how he can transfer his recent clay prowess onto the North American hard courts. Yeah, it's quite an it's quite an interesting draw. And again, it's there's no real let up really for the the top two seeds. I mean, let's start with with Medvedev. I mean, he's going to face the winner of Dan Evans versus Alexander Bublik, which that could be a that could be a very fun match, I think. Um, and then. We kind of uh, earmarked it earlier, Kim. Rafa uh, could face Lloyd Harris again um, in his opening match in uh, Toronto. Um, Lloyd Harris has to come through a qualifier, first of all. Um, also, in that section of the door, we do have Nick Kyrgios versus Riley Opelka. I think that's on the night session tonight, uh, and the winner plays Grigor Dimitrov. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Harris-Nadal ma- uh, second match... Uh, that could be quite. I think that could be quite interesting. I'd be interested. You surely think Nadal would be able to get his revenge if that match, if that match came to fruition. Well, I think yeah, I think Harris played quite well tactically um, last week, and I'm sure Rafa wouldn't let that happen again. You know, he definitely would learn from from Harris's, um, you know, tactics and uh, put that in the bud. I think. I think. Yeah, I think I'd give Rafa the edge. Um, I, th- I don't think Rafa would make the same mistakes twice uh i think that was a, a one-off upset touchwood she says we've also got i mean unseat both players unseeded but i feel both players are in the you know playing really really good tennis at the moment cam norrie versus karen kachanov 
um, with the winner playing Karatsev. I mean, Nori Kachinov, that could also be quite, that's quite a tasty, I think, first round match. Benoit Pair against Mackenzie McDonald as well. And Jensen Brooksby is on a, on a, on a wild card. I actually think he's in a quite favorable part of the draw. Could come up against Alex de Menor if he comes through Basilash Vili as well in, in the first round. I mean, Brooksby de Menor, that is going to be, if that happens, that's the, the number of extended rallies I'm expecting in, in that match is going to be off the charts because I feel like both those players are quite uh you know could be quite defensive and it will be a very much a, a game of chess on a tennis court yeah it's quite hard to call uh some of these matches mm. and you know for some players it is their their opening foray onto the US Open swing so I mean are you predicting anyone Joel are you gonna go top seed Medvedev are you gonna think is Hubert Hercash gonna gonna yeah, yeah, make inroads I mean- yeah, Hubert Hercash is a, a good shout. I'm also wondering if Shapovalov, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at home, he does have, he does like playing here, but he also could come up against Seb Korda in, in his opening match, which again will be quite tough. Kasper Rude, is he going to be able to just kind of continue on his, uh, you know, on his form? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm going to have to go with, uh, I'm just looking at the draw now off the top of my head. I think, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think maybe Medvedev will get to the get to the final. I'm not so sure about Nadal. I think he'll do better than he did in in DC. Um, but I'm sort of wondering whether you know maybe an unseeded player, maybe Mackenzie McDonald again could uh, spring a, a surprise. But um, yeah, I think Medvedev. I think Medvedev will be able to get through to the final. Not not hate life doing so like he like he did at like he did at the Olympics and maybe come through with the title. Yeah, my my inclination is also towards Medvedev. Um, I think, yes, I'd love Rafa to do well and, and obviously do better than last week, but I don't think he has enough yet to go all the way. I don't think um, he I needs mean, to, to be honest, at the moment. Like, No, I think he's building it up, isn't it? Um, I, I mean, S- 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 Stefanos Sitsipas, haven't even mentioned him. He He's there as well. So um, it is quite it is quite open when you don't have the likes of Djokovic um, <laughs> in the draw. But I mean, what's even more open is probably the, the Montreal event for the women, um, which is, oh, sorry, because it's in Montreal, it's, it's the Omnium Bonk National, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm probably murdering with my awful <laughs> French accent. But um, here we've got Sabalenka as the top seed. Uh, there's no, no Osaka, no no. Barty, no Williams sisters. So um, Sabalenka is headlining. Andrescu is the second seed, um, which I know you were quite shocked by. Uh, I know she won this title, I think, last time around, or at least when it would have been held in Toronto two years ago when she won. But um, yeah, Andrescu still, because of the ranking freeze and and everything, still up there, despite not having won very much. And just looking at that bottom, bottom quarter, I mean, it is a pretty loaded quarter as quarters go, because you've got Andrescu in there. You've also got Simona Hallett returning. Now, she must be feeling pretty good about herself, given, you know, she's taken a wild card. Yes, it was disappointing. She wasn't able to defend her Wimbledon uh, title. She wasn't able to go to the Olympics, but it's great uh, to see her back in a, a main draw. But she could come up against Danielle Collins uh, in in her opening match because Collins has got Jill Tightman. And if, if she comes through that, that's going to be, that's going to think, I think be quite a tough ask for, for Halep. And you've also got Contivit, Jessica Pegula as well. And Pegula unseeded again, a player who last season and in, in, I swear in the build up to the US Open was just literally burning up the, the hard courts, really, really 
quality player on, on a hard court. Onjabor is in there as well in that, that bottom, bottom quarter. Kasekina. It feels like, yeah, it feels like a lot of the, a lot of really, really good players are really bunched to clever, um, at the bottom of the draw. Yeah, I mean, Joe Conter's also in the bottom half, but mm. she hasn't, you know, played in a while. And um, she's got Zhang in the first round. So, um, who who recently beat Emma Raducanu. Raducanu but the, win- yeah. the winner of that plays Svitolina. So, you know, Ooh. even if Joe gets through that, I Tough. don't see her going going very far, unfortunately. I mean, I've got my eyes on, yes, Sabalenka, I think, will do very well. Um, I want to say Muguruza, but I think she's actually got Sinyakova in the first round um, who came through today against Ostapenko. Bit of a grudge match there because Ostapenko, I think, was... Um, yeah, she was faking checked. an injury. Well, uh, Sinyakova thought <laughs> she was faking yeah, an injury. Okay, sorry. Yeah, quote <laughs> To be quote. diplomatic. Yeah, I mean, you've got also Azarenka as well, Pliskova in that top half. Yeah, Sabalenka as the top seed... Yeah, she's, I think she's going to be riding high on some, some confidence. I wouldn't be surprised if she goes deep. But again, I could see, I could still see Azarenka or Muguruza. I mean, they are my personal faves. So I'm obviously going to be a little bit biased. But, um, yeah, I do wonder if the, the, the winner might come out of that bottom quarter, given that it's, there are some very hard matches very early on there. And that might set them up well, I think, for the latter end of the tournament. So I'm, I might go for, yeah, I might go for, I might even go for Danielle Collins or, or Jessica Bagula, to be honest, um, getting all the way through to the final. I think someone unseeded could come through that, given, you know, Halep and Andrescu haven't really been on the on the tennis court of late. Yeah, absolutely. Coco Goff as well. What can she do? Mm. Um, I think this is her time to to get out there and, and start shining again. But um, we will be back uh, next week to round all of the action up from both uh, Toronto and Montreal. So we shall be watching it all with, um, you know, eager eagerness this week. Quite friendly, <laughs> yeah. Quite friendly on our on our on the time zones. Actually, we can watch it on uh, after after work. But um, it's not too bad, is it? Not too no. bad at all. But yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest tour catch up with the Passing Shot Tennis podcast. If you want to stay up to date on all of the North American hardcore swing, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher. And you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app. And if you want to show your support for the show and help us out, then why not leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts? And you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Uh, you can also get in contact with us, not just on those social channels, but also via email, PassingShotPod at gmail.com or check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next time at Passing Shot HQ to look back on all the action from Montreal and Toronto. So I hope you can join us for that. Will we see Rafa make it a sixth crowd in Toronto? How will Danielle Collins do? Uh, we will soon find out. But I hope you can join us for our next catch up, probably next next Monday or next Sunday. We will see. But uh, I hope you can join us for that. And we will see you again soon. <laughs> So, 
So, Joel, I've got an excellent quiz question for you. Oh, here we go. Can you name all 25 languages that Christina Milanovic <laughs> speaks? Um, French, English, Spanish, Russian, uh, Belgium, German. Um, I, I, Kim, I don't think I could name 25 languages, if I'm being honest. 